Kelly, this week, Angela Nath, I think it's this week, in the last couple of weeks, Angela Nath found out that she has Lyme disease and she's about, she's a third person that I know of anyway, pro triathlete in the last couple of years who has had a bad case of Lyme disease before her, there was Leslie Patterson and before that Kirsten Sweetland. So I don't know. What do you think? I, I heard you told me earlier that you're scared of Lyme disease. I mean, Lyme disease used to freak me out so much because sometimes you don't know why you're sick, right? You just like feel really terrible. It often like makes you really, really tired. It's in your joints and they can't, it's like really hard to diagnose. I also got really freaked out though, because that's Lyme disease. And then there's like chronic Lyme disease, which is like hotly debated among doctors if it's a real thing or not. But what is clear was like people were getting really sick for like chronically for a long time. And I knew a woman who had what she thought was chronic Lyme disease and it sounded terrifying. And so I was like, oh my God, that's terrible. It does sound terrible. So first of all, for anyone who doesn't know, Lyme disease is um, a bacteria that is spread by a tick bite. Right. It's basically athletes are more likely to get it because you spend more time around areas that have ticks. Am I right? Well, yeah, because you're trail running or mountain biking. I I will do tick checks whenever I go on like really overgrown trails because we have tons of deer around here and deer ticks often live on deer. Deer ticks are the most common. Like there are only two or three kinds that actually carry Lyme disease out of the ticks out there and deer ticks are one of them. Okay. So you have so a I'm, whole strategy for, for right, Lyme so disease avoidance. Like, I'll always do like a tick check as soon as I get out. Okay. Because if you can get the tick off you like right away, then, you know, it doesn't have time to like really bite you. Even if it bites you, apparently it takes like a while for it to transmit the Lyme, whatever. I'm bacteria. Okay. Yes. It's bacteria. Yeah. You're also supposed to look for the the red. There's like a bullseye style rash you get from a tick bite. So even if you didn't see the tick, if you get like a bullseye style rash, you should like go to the doctor because then you can get on the antibiotics right away. Like if you get on antibiotics right away, it's really treatable. You're fine. You're fine within a couple of weeks. But if you don't treat it, that's when you get really sick. The problem is you don't always get the rash. Like sometimes you don't. It does. Sound and then scary. you don't know that you were bit because also it's really common for people to be bit by like the baby ticks. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't see them because they were really small. Scary. Okay. I know. I know. The only good thing is they're not as many out here where we live on the West coast. It's really common, uh, Northeast and like Midwest. I mean, do you guys even have deer on Victoria? It's an Island. We like, have so deer. many deer. It's like the deer. Did they like swim there? A couple deer, a male and a female deer obviously swam over here sometime and have popped with the Adam and Eve deer of, Victor of Vancouver Island because we have deer everywhere. Like I almost hit them on my bike all the time and I see them running. Um, but Angela, okay. So Angela has been telling her story on Instagram, which is really interesting. And she's been super raw on the story. So uh, you guys should check that out. And also she's coming on the Iron Women podcast in a couple of weeks to talk about it. So we will all be learning lots more about Lyme disease. Good. Terrifying, but good. So coming up on the podcast, we have race directors that have improved things in Chattanooga recently, retiring from racing and the emotional struggles involved. We have a voicemail from Kelly's mom. Yay. And is social media changing our perspective on extreme sports? Oh, and then after the credits, Kelly and I are going to talk about our lists of the things that separate us we're between us and being the best in the world. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny, 
And I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast and get 20% off with the code RIDING at AskKickerInc, Inc with a K, If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get so a girl emailed me this week, uh, one of the pro girls who raced Chattanooga 70.3 this past weekend, uh, to tell me that, you know, after all our discussion last week and the week before about how the women need more time, we're getting swallowed up by the age groupers, it's terrible. She said in Chattanooga, the race directors did give them a few more minutes. Like they started, instead of starting them at whatever, five minutes before the age group men, they pushed the pro men and the pro women a few minutes earlier to give the pro women like a little more time before the age group men. And that it was like a... It actually like really helped. helped. And so I just wanted to say, I mean, you know, small baby steps, but like we actually, we notice when these things happen, guys, like it does make a big difference. Like we actually really appreciate when, when, you know, these efforts are made for us. For sure. And it's noticeable. I mean, as a pro woman, of course, being out there, I can just imagine in Chattanooga, it's noticeable when you're on the bike and you don't get swarmed by men. So thank you race directors in Chattanooga. It was apparently a really big problem or that was the way the reason that it was going to be a big problem and why they were able to convince the race director to give them some more time was because the age groupers had wetsuits and they did not. And I actually hate this. Okay, true story. My husband at his one and only Ironman had a wetsuit and I did not. And he technically swam 45 seconds faster. Oh, no fair. So now he gives me swim tips all the time which is terrible, but it was really annoying when the men started right behind us and they had wetsuits and we did not And so she was suggesting, and I've heard this argument before. What if you just like made the wetsuit rules the same for the age groupers and the pros and you could have in the age group field, you know, a competitive start. Like if you want to win an award, if you want to win a championship spot, you have to, you know, follow the rules. And then behind that, you could have a rolling start that you could wear wetsuits, you could wear headphones on the run, you could, you know, whatever, like that it could be more flexible. I think that would also solve the rolling start problem, which I hate and I think is stupid. And so basically from what you're suggesting, the rules for if you're going to be competitive would be the same. So you'd have you'd right. have a mass start in whatever your category is, but you would also be all wearing wetsuits or all not wearing wetsuits. Right. If you like want to win an award, you have to do whatever the rule is for the day. Right. Like you. And I also think that that is also a good like consideration for, um, you know, non-rolling starts for mass starts. Like if you want to win an award, you should be racing head to head. It should just be what it is. And then you can behind that have the people who like just want to finish or just want to, you know, their chip time. Sure. Where it's a more inclusive. It's when we talked about um, Santa Rosa last week, the Ironman that had no pro race. And you said how it's kind of becomes 
with the rolling start, it kind of becomes everybody exercising in the same space and you don't know who's leading the race and who's winning and you don't know where the people are that are competing against you, um, which is something that competitive age groupers, I would think, would want. And so I like that idea. I like the idea of having that. The mass start is part of the sport, right? (laughs) In a way, it's part of what makes it hard. And so I think that for people who still want that, that they should be able to have it and they should be able to know who they're racing against. I definitely think you should be able to know who you're racing against if you're racing. And a race should have a winner. Not, or if it's not, or else a race should have a race. A race should have by a race. God. <laughs> yes. Otherwise, like just go out in Strava, like whatever. It reminds me of at my kids' school, we have a, they have a Terry Fox run. I hope I haven't told this story before on the podcast, but I also don't know what that is. But okay. okay. Terry Fox was a famous Canadian who he had cancer. He had a like he only had one leg and he tried to run across Canada, but he actually passed away before he made it and he became this legend. And so the schools have Terry Fox runs. But when I was in school, it used to be sort of so when you were younger, it would be a kilometer and it went up by age. But everybody had to run the kilometer. But now at Rosalie's school, they take the kids out onto the field and they run around the outside of the soccer pitch and they do it by time. And there's no winner and there's no loser. And there's no, there's nothing like you just go around and whatever for five minutes, you run around a soccer pitch and then like you hear a bell or or whistle and you stop. Very weird to me. It's like changes the point of going from point A to point B and completing something. So I also think whenever they do these things where there's no winner and there's no loser, the the kids know who really won. Like they're still... A fastest kid. Like the kids know right, who's do. the winner and who's, the, they're not stupid. Yeah, Rosalie right? totally does. She knows, like, she knows who made it around four times and who did three and a half and whether there were any other girls in the class ahead of her. She talks about that stuff. So she is always aware. So you're totally right. And I, I don't know. I'm just not all for that. I, I mean, okay, if people who are, I understand the need also for people who are just coming into the sport or who want, who don't want to do a competitive thing, like with Ironman, right? Perfectly understandable. If somebody just wants to finish it for themselves and they don't give a crap what anybody else is doing and they're not racing against someone else, that's great. And having a rolling start further back for those people who just want to exercise together on a course is great and fine. But forcing the people who want to be competitive into that category also isn't a good thing. Some of them at least could just race pro. Instead, they could. get head-to-head racing. There you go. There you go, guys. <laughs> Ladies, step up. <laughs> head-to-head it's racing. An option if you're looking if you're looking for more racing. And, of course, then you would have to deal with retiring from being a pro. I was just gonna say that we need some more pro women because they seem to be dropping like flies. Everyone is retiring this year. This week we had Leanda Cave uh, announce her retirement. And I actually kind of wanted to talk about some of the connections. Did you, you never announced your retirement though. Announce it. Is this your announce retirement announcement? Guys, right <laughs> ladies, <laughs> listeners, I'd like to announce my retirement. Um, I feel like announcing retirement is for the Leanda Caves of the world. You right, know, right. I, you have to be like a big deal. I won two Ironmans. I love that. I'm like very grateful for what I got in the sport, but I didn't really feel like I needed to announce a retirement uh but you get asked all the time it's you true you totally get asked all the get time asked. you should have just posted on instagram and been right. like like i didn't need a press release but i could have done a i could have just 
shared with my community my intentions to retire. That's true. So what actually changed, though, once you retired okay. from before you were retired? Well, one of the main things that I found, because I'm 42, 42 now, so I've seen a lot of my friends too go through the same transition. And one of the things that we never talk about is that with sport, it's, it's different than retiring from other things because the endorphins that you get and the being outside and the fact that sport basically can balance out your mental health and could help stave off feelings of depression and, and all of these things. I think those are a lot of the reasons people start to do Iron Man in the first place. And so basically the big question for pros who retire is how much do we need to exercise to keep ourselves feeling balanced, to get, not just to be physically healthy, but also to be mentally healthy. And I see people struggle with that a lot. And what's your, what's your minimum? What's your oh, man. minimum amount? Well, <laughs> is it 20 hours? Cause I definitely know some retired pros who train like 20 hours. A I week. do know <laughs> a lot of retired pros who do still do a lot of exercise and in part it's cause they love it. Like I'm not saying people just exercise because they're trying to not be depressed. Like, but <laughs> I just, I, I didn't want it to, I don't want to have to train that much because I have other goals and I'm trying to build this business and I need and want to be doing other things and I want to hang out with my daughter. Um, so I've gone as low as five hours, although that five hours is mostly running, which I think helps with the endorphin boost. Yeah, running is more like time efficient mm-hmm. uh, when you're just trying to like bang stuff out. Yeah, mine, because I did do like the I kind of quit for a few years and was just lifestyling. We call it lifestyle training at my house. And my, my minimum was like six ish. Cause that's like a couple times during the week while you're working. And then like a lot, like a ride on the weekend or like a long run on the weekend. Right. That's what that, like, are you finding, is this why you went back to CrossFit or went back to, went to CrossFit? A little bit. Yeah. So I'm finding that like <laughs> I had a minimum where I could do a little bit every day. I could do my 30, 45 minute run, but that actually I am a happier person if I do a little bit more. So now I'm kind of eking my way back up. Um, but I do feel like this is the sort of untalked about aspect of it's kind of like detoxing. Right? You stop racing, you stop training 25 hours a week and suddenly you're like, could go into the shakes or whatever. So I mean, there is a lot of parts of retiring that aren't really talked about in any sports, but obviously like the endurance sports, it's a little weirder because a lot of people already do have like other jobs or other things they do. Like, it's not really a question like what they're going to do. They they're going to do more of the other stuff they did. Right. Like what or go back to their regular job or whatever. Um, That's true. And I think also that even, you know, if you're injured, for example, that might bring on that same effect of not being able to train as much and feeling a little bit lower energy wise and mood wise. And then also like after Ironman, you know, when you have that forced rest, I think everyone can know. We used to have (laughs) when Ironman Canada was in August here in the old Penticton course in Canada, my, a woman who used to coach with me, she used to call it psychotic September, like where after Ironman, suddenly all of our athletes are like losing their minds and don't know what to oh, do really? with themselves and like just have that super low after Ironman. Oh my God. No, I peace out. I'm like, Hey, I'll see you in three weeks. I don't even want to keep a log. We'll talk later <laughs> to my coach. And that's, and I just, I often drink quite heavily during that three weeks too. Well, not to, maybe that's the answer. 
Maybe that's that's what you should, should be doing. More. There you go. I should drink more. I think this has actually ended badly for Michael Phelps, so you probably don't want to do that. I'm pretty sure that's why <laughs> he got in a lot of trouble post the Olympics and was depressed and then drank heavily and then got arrested. Right. So Detro- detoxing from exercise addiction is probably easier than detoxing from other types of addiction. So right. Um, but I wrote a bunch about the about well not a bunch, but I wrote about retiring in the newsletter this mm-hmm. week and like how people deal with this stuff you know, how they balance, like what they're going to do, how they plan ahead. And my mom had some thoughts. So she sent us a voicemail. Well, good morning. Just read the newsletter. So many ideas. First off, the bit about retiring. I don't know that retiring from regular jobs is really all that different. I still do a lot of the things that I did when I taught. I read essays. I read Kelly's essays on all the newsletters. I read Sarah's and Aaron's essays on the Live Feisty page. I just don't spend 20 hours a weekend grading them. Though y'all all get A pluses. Nice job. I think what people retire from is they retire from the bullshit. Just not doing it. Not doing the bullshit stuff anymore. The other thing I noticed on the newsletter was the bit about Flora Duffy making lists. And I thought, if that's all that's keeping someone from being a world champion... I'm probably a world champion. I make great lists. I just don't know what I'm a world champion at. And totally random about burl poaching. Yes, it's a thing. My great aunt Lucy told me a story once about some guy sneaking onto the farm to try and take the big oak burl off of the tree that was in front of the farmhouse. So there you go. Totally random. Kelly, I always love what your mom has to say, but explain to me, sorry, I did not follow this link on the newsletter. What is burl poaching? Explain what my (laughs) Aunt Lucy was talking about. Burl, okay, you know in like giant redwood trees how they have the crazy burls, like the the swirls on the side of the tree that are like... Oh, oh, yes. So people... the, the, The link in the article was about people poaching them from redwood trees here, like in California. They like cut them out of the tree to like make, I don't know. I don't to know. Make to make a pretty thing. To make a pretty okay. thing. And it's illegal because you're damaging like a tree, but it's also like apparently quite lucrative. And I guess so the story my mom was telling about my great aunt, like, I guess that's a thing in Kentucky too. Like I don't, who knew? <laughs> who knew? Apparently it's a thing. All the interesting facts you learn in Kelly's newsletter. Yeah, and if you all there was if you didn't read the burl poaching story, that's fine. There's another story you might not have read about uh social media. And it was about specifically this like one peak, like climb mountain climb in Colorado that uh that like five people died on in like a very short span, like six weeks over the summer. Um, but their argument was that essentially this peak has gotten so popular because of social media posting and that social media posting is making it seem less dangerous than it really is like oh just take this shortcut and like there's so much stuff out there online on instagram like videos of people you know shooting their whatever snapchat i was trying to think of a social media thing did i sound cool shooting their snapchat (laughs) from the top of the mountain that people are like oh it must be easy and they go and they don't I mean, even experience, these are experienced, like these aren't random people. These are experienced like backpackers, hikers. Right. And they die. They like fall and they die. Right. So people are making it look too easy and therefore other people, it's, it becomes, it seems more accessible, but, but when you're on the side of a mountain, it's not. Right. And there's not, and this is like an interesting example, but there's been other stories in the past that I've heard and read about. I mean, 
when you talk about climbing, like rock climbing, it comes up a lot. When you talk about surfing, it comes up a lot. When you talk about like, you know, skiing, but not like uh, Lindsey Vaughn style, like backcountry skiing, hella skiing, that kind of thing. Um, It comes up a lot because these extreme sports rely heavily on social media to like promote themselves as athletes, Mm. to promote their sponsors, to like get one really dope shot, whatever, as they like jump out of the helicopter. So they do like crazier and crazier things to be, to get like the really good shot, to be like big influencers and celeb. And it's distorting who is considered like a good athlete, what people are doing in the sport. It's like distorting the sports and like also trickling down then to, you know, the regulars trying to do crazy, stupid shit. And do you think that that applies to triathlon too? Like is, has social media somehow distorted how hard Iron Man is or has it distorted? I think it, there probably is some distortion of who, who is good and why they are good. You mean like who we think is good because we see their Twitter posts or their Instagram posts or whatever? Yeah, so being, for example, being good at Iron Man isn't, doesn't necessarily... <laughs> make you good at posting on social media, right? What? <laughs> I know, <laughs> shocking. So sometimes the best athletes don't always, aren't always perceived Have the biggest way. following. Yeah. True, true. I also think obviously, and I mean, I like wrote my monthly column rant in triathlete about this last mm-hmm. month or two months ago. Obviously, we post the pictures of us looking cool. Mm. Not the big, not like, and the vast majority of sessions, you do not look cool. Oh my God. I've started saying sessions because I've talked to too many like foreign workouts. You foreign athletes are making me all say sessions. Most of your workouts, you don't look cool and you don't look badass. You're just like struggling um, around, you know, through your neighborhood jog, like, or on your train, right? Like they don't look cool. And so then when all you see on the internet is pictures of people looking cool. And that's not your reality. You're like, something must be wrong with me. Why does this suck? Like, why, why is it not amazing? Um, I mean, there's study after study about how social media is fucking with our heads, right? Like, even if we know logically that everyone else is just posting their best version of themselves, it's still like emotionally messes us up and like makes us think something must be wrong with us. That's true. Although I do like how you post a lot of real on your on your Instagram that that's a, a big check where you know you're like sweaty or you're like having a hard time or pretending to have a hard time well here's what's so disappointing about that that's what if that's like me trying to look cool and everybody else is like oh man you're, you're so brave and you're like shit <laughs> that's awesome that's okay, I just want to co- go back to this point for a second here because I don't want to let it get by me. You don't say sessions for your workout? No, it's workouts. Who but I've like had I to do. talk to a bunch of stupid British and Canadian athletes <laughs> recently, and now I've started saying sessions and the pitch. I'm doing my session around the pitch. Oh my god, uh, this I is terrible. Pitch, but I do say session. You just said pitch earlier. Oh, I did say pitch like five minutes ago. <laughs> That's for soccer, <laughs> not for not for like a track or something anyway anyway <laughs> okay we got off track there yeah i do think sometimes that social media makes iron man and training look easier than it is and that actually the the thing that defines the best athletes which is doing it anyway regardless of how you feel on a day-to-day basis is not encapsulated that well in in Insta- on instagram or in a single post 
True, because it would just be boring every single day of you doing the exact same thing every day. But that is what the best athletes do. So totally. Okay, so stay with us because after the credits, Kelly and I are going to talk about our lists. And that is the lists of things that we need to do between where we are and where the best in the world are. I don't think I explained that very well, but there you go. Stay tuned. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at asskickerinc, inc with a K, dot com. And Crave Jerky, crave with a K, dot com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. All right, I will explain the list since you explained it badly okay, before it. the break. So I was interviewing Flora Duffy earlier this week, and she mentioned in passing that she, back in the day, had a list of like the things it would take to become world-class. And it was like super basic stuff. This is not like get faster, right? Like that would obviously be step one. These were like, what is between me and really elevating my game is like, make sure I get uh, as much sleep as possible. Make sure I eat right. Make sure I get weekly massages, whatever. And so I was thinking about that a lot this week because it was like, it stuck in my head. And I was thinking about it because I was telling you after my super hard trainer session, on Monday, I cleaned the bathroom, like literally got the trainer, put it away, clean the bathroom. And I kept thinking on the list would be don't do this. So awesome. Um, okay. I love, well, sorry. Go ahead. Well, what else would be on your list besides don't do household don't chores after your immediately after. workouts? Um, okay. I, I love that you brought this up because the, basically the, the mindset of my first coach, Darren Smith was very much this, like he was always comparing you as his athlete to the best in the world and the way he would go about this it was sometimes a bit abrasive and he just came across as like another asshole Aussie coach telling you how much you sucked right and so I remember him telling me that I sucked and I remember thinking but no I'm the best woman in my little training group over there in my corner you know and and when he explained to me that what he meant by that was that you suck compared to the best in the world and that he was constantly trying to figure out how to bridge that gap. Like that is how he saw coaching. I actually found it extremely motivating. Like, oh yeah, well, okay. and the best at, at that time, the IT world champion was McKeeley Jones. So that was always our thing. It was like, yes, compared to McKeeley Jones, I suck. <laughs> right. But it also meant that he was taking on that puzzle of how to, to help, how to help me bridge that gap. So that was really cool. So what is on your list? What were, well, what were some of the things? Like what, if you're like, Sarah is here, McKaylee Jones is there. Here are the things in between. What were some of the okay, things? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, we were, we worked on a lot of technical stuff. So I worked on my okay. swimming a lot from the technical side. Also like little details like transitions. Technically, I remember him saying we're doing transition practice and it almost felt like we were in a beginner 
sprint clinic and everybody, all the athletes were moaning about it and we didn't want to go. And he just said, look, if any of you are the best in the world at transition, then you can leave. And actually there was one guy who was like, who was like, yeah, I'm pretty good on transition. I'm going for a bike ride. <laughs> and Darren conceded like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You can go the one guy. And then the rest of us stayed and literally went over and over. We learned to do flying mounts on our bikes and all of the, all of the technical pieces, because he really felt like, you know, the training was easy to do. Like once we got home from the camp, we were going to be able to train as hard as we wanted to. And we didn't need to be watched over if we were doing things right. And if we could swim, bike and run technically well. So that was, that was our starting point. Okay. Okay. Tell me about your list. Oh, I don't have a list. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think other people might have a list. I think Hillary probably has a list and probably like top of the list is Kelly should stop drinking so much and Kelly should stop working so much and should eat better. Uh, but I'm not convinced, which is why I don't have a list that I don't need it to be like a more of a balance. This is a side point. We're like getting into Kelly like therapy session right but this now. This is what we need because, okay, there are athletes who need balance. Right. So, right. I'm not convinced if I just like never did anything fun and was like super, super type A that I would be better because I think I would just be like, this sucks. I quit. You know, I think it would be in that case more about how little other stuff you can get away with and still feel good. Like Daniela Reef mm-hmm. always was in university through her whole mm-hmm. career until very recently when she graduated. So she was winning world championships, but still in the off season going and studying. So there's definitely space for that. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Yeah, it is. All right. People should send us voicemails of their list of things it would take to become world class at whatever. It doesn't have to be whatever. It doesn't have to be a triathlon. Send us your voicemails. Our podcast partner, Crave Jerky, is hosting a find your fit contest from now through June 2018. All you have to do is post a selfie while working out. That should be easy for our listeners. And you could win $300 in gift cards from Flywheel, ClassPass, or Gaiam Yoga. And of course, Crave product. Use hashtag CraveBetter and hashtag SweepstatesEntry. One caveat though, you must be a U.S. resident, 18 years or older to enter. Also, hashtag LiveFeisty so we can see your entry too. Details will be posted in the show notes for this podcast on livefeisty.com. <laughs> 